Well, we are in a series called We Are Family. And not like the 80s song, but like what Jesus describes in his word about who we are as God's people. And um, we, we've looked at a handful of things. We're looking at the nature and mission of the church. And, and we've seen the church is first and foremost about God's glory. And that to become a part of, of Jesus' family, of the church, it doesn't mean that you attend church. It means that you repent of your sin, turn to Jesus Christ in faith, and then you're called out of this world to Jesus and sent back into this world for Jesus. It's not just coming to church, it's trusting Jesus and being a part of his church, of his family. And so uh, as a family, we mentioned, I mentioned this last Sunday, that uh, we are part of the Evangelical Free Church of America. That's our extended family. And we exist to glorify God by multiplying transformational churches among all people. And last Sunday, we looked at what it means, the start of what it means to be a transformational church. You know, if you haven't noticed yet, this series is really an unpacking of our extended family's mission statement. And what does it mean to be a transformational church? Well, uh, last Sunday, we saw that um, it starts with being rooted in the word of God, recognizing its authority, teaching it faithfully and applying it regularly. It's the word that the spirit of God uses to change us and to transform us, amen? He changes us as individuals. He changes us as a family. And uh, additionally, as we're, we're gonna dive deeper though, because it's not just about us. It's also the way that, the, that a, a healthy church is transformational, not just in and among itself, but among its community. And by its very nature, when it's healthy, And when the Holy Spirit is working in us, people around us are are, are changed as well and impacted and influenced. It's just the nature of a healthy transformational church to impact its community. Because remember, the church was called out of the world. You were called out of the world to Jesus, but then he turned around and sent you back, not to just be in a little bubble, but to be in the world for him. And we're going to talk about that this morning. For the last three years, we've been kind of saying it like this as a church family that we are, say it with me if you know it, we are sent to love people and invite them to follow Jesus with us. Why don't you just read that with me? We are sent to love people and invite them to follow Jesus with us. We're sent to love. Let me pray. And then we're going to start right there. Sound good? Let's pray. Father, thanks for Jesus. Thanks that you've called us to him and that as we trust him in faith, we're made new, we're given a new identity and then we're sent back into the world with activity to do Jesus for your glory, others good and our joy. Uh, Holy Spirit, would you use me this morning as I teach and as we explore your word together, uh, would you speak through me and even to me? Uh, We pray against the enemy, Lord. Uh, He hates your kingdom. He hates your church. And uh, he would love nothing more than to to stir up division or confusion or uh, to steer us off course. So instead, reveal to us who you've made us to be and give us courage to go and live that out. We love you, Lord. We thank you for Jesus. It's all because of him. And it's all about him. And in his name we pray.
So we're sent to love people and invite them to follow Jesus with us. So let's start there. As a transformational church, not just internally, but externally, we're sent to love our community. We're sent to love our community. And one of the unique things about our church, we're kind of out here in the middle of cornfields, right? Or depending on the season, year, maybe bean fields, but cornfields, bean fields, fields. And we're not really, uh, in, in terms of just like our corporate entity, like their building, we're not in a community. We're kind of uh, not in Milford. We're kind of not in Syracuse. We're like right in the middle of them. And then we also impact, we have people from Napanee and New Paris and Leesburg and Warsaw and, New we- and North Webster and, and all over the place, right, that, that come and join us. And so in one sense, it's, it's kind of tricky. Who's our community? And in another sense, we have a great opportunity to impact multiple communities as a church. And so that's a pretty exciting thing, but we're sent to love our community. So if you're like, I'm not sure which one that is, well, which one do you live in? You're sent to love that community. Well, what does that mean to love our community, to love people? Oftentimes it's just kindness. It's an action where I put their needs and their desires and their longings ahead of my own. Sometimes love can feel harsh, like tough love, right? Where you speak the truth or you uh, quit enabling somebody's destructive tendencies. That can be loving as well. But, but if we're gonna love our community, it begins individually. We're sent to love people everywhere, wherever you go. Do you know when Jesus said, he gave the great commission that uh, he said, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, right? That was the great commission. And really that word go in the Greek, the tense of that verb, really it's like this active sense. That it's like, as you are going, make disciples, not like you have to like get up some gumption and go and go somewhere like to the middle of Africa and then make disciples. No, it's as you're going, wherever you find yourself, it's very much the everyday commission. And everywhere you go, you're sent to love people. I wonder, think about everywhere you go and everywhere you were this week. Would they describe you as loving? In your home, with your family, the people you live with, would they describe you as loving? What about the people in your neighborhood? people you work next to. Are you a loving person? Uh, If we had stopped our mission statement right there, we're sent to love, there would be a whole lot and we'd have some really good stuff. Um, And the Bible has much to say about us loving others. First Corinthians 16, 14, let all that you do be done in what? Love. Now that word all, how, how many things does that encompass? All, right? Like that's what it means. All, in all that you do, whatever your hand finds to do, that means whether you're working, whether you're playing, whether whatever it is you're doing, in all that you do, do it in love. You're sent to love. Galatians 5.22 lists out the fruit of the spirit. And guess what the first fruit is that's mentioned? Love. In, in 1 Corinthians 13, when Paul talks about, it's in the middle of him talking about serving with our gifts. And in the very middle, he has this whole chapter on love because he says, love is the most excellent way. You're sent to love. We're sent to love our community. John 15, 13 says, greater love, Jesus said this, has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. 
It's easy to love your friend, isn't it? Lay down your life for your friend. But curiously, Jesus doesn't stop there because he also says in Luke 6, I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. See, Jesus doesn't just say, love your friends. He says, love your enemies. That's when it gets hard. I don't know about you, but there's some people that are, that are hard for me to love. Do you have that experience? Or maybe you, you, you hear about something or you run into somebody and you're just like, I gotta love them. Yeah, you're sent to love people. We, we, maybe we should change that to say, we're sent to love all people and invite them to follow Jesus with us. Cause that's the intent, right? You're, you're sent to love everyone. Really what you're sent, you're sent like Jesus. Because look what Jesus, he's praying this about us in John 17, 18. It says his disciples and everyone who'd believe after them. So that includes us. It says, as you've sent me into the world, Father, so I have sent them into the world. Help me, did Jesus love his enemies? Yeah, he absolutely did. So we're called to do the same. He loved everybody. In fact, Jesus was known. What was one of the titles that people called him? A friend of what? Sinners. You know what that means? That, and he was also called a glutton. He was called a drunk. It said the son of man came eating and drinking. That like he spent so much time with people that were different than him that people started to say, would you, I don't know if we should be listening or hanging out with him. Look at him. He's hanging out with those people. Jesus loved his community. He loved people. And we're sent to love just as, Jesus said, just as he was sent, we're sent in the same way. You know, a convicting thing for me, I I think, um, how many non-Christians would call me a friend? How many non-Christians would call you a friend? They called Jesus a friend of sinners. How many would call you a friend? See, so we're, we're to love our community. We're sent to love. It begins individually. We express it corporately. In the Old Testament, God's people were sent into exile because of their sin to Babylon. And when they get to Babylon, modern day Iraq, uh, God speaks to them through the prophet Jeremiah. And he tells them to seek the welfare of the city to which I sent to you. Because in, it, in its welfare is your welfare. When it receives good, you receive good. In other words, what what God was telling the people there is love the community I'm sending you to. Wherever that is, whatever it's like, love your community, love your city. And when we really love our community, when you really love someone, you, you seek their good, right? You seek their desires and their needs and their wants above your own. Now, not to the neglect of your responsibility with your family or your spouse or anything like that, but but you're still, you're being selfless in the way that you care for, you seek their good. There's many ways to seek the good of our community by working hard, providing income for our family, providing tax dollars to our community, by serving, by getting involved, by knowing your neighbors. You know, I think I shared this with you a little over a year ago. One of the cool things, I give my wife all the credit for this, uh, just the desire to get to know some of our neighbors more. Every Tuesday night, we have Taco Tuesday. And uh, we cook up a bunch of, yeah, a handful of people from our church. A lot of times it is now just people from our church that come, but there's other people who are not from our church and in our community that, 
in our neighborhood, I should say, that come. We cook up a bunch of taco meat. Everybody brings a topping. And so it's a different, different menu every night. And we just eat tacos together. We meet for about an hour, eat, talk, and then we go home. And we've gotten to know more people in, in our neighborhood. And we've had more people into our home over the last year than the first six years we were married. Seven years almost, right? I mean, it's, it's really cool. And uh, so how are you being a good neighbor and knowing your neighbors, seeking their good? See, we need to do this as a group of people. We proclaim it like with this blazing torch to the thousands of people that drive by our church every day. You are loved, right? I mean, you see it all the time. Like people are calling us the you are loved church now. Do you know that? Like that's who we are. But, but what do people experience from the people of that you are loved church? That's what we wanna be about. We wanna love our community, not just with words, but with actions. You know, James said that faith without works is dead. And so uh, as God's people here, we're sent to love and to make Jesus known, his love known. Now, what this is, is this is being an influence for Jesus' kingdom. And as a church, Jesus' church as a whole and us as a local church, you might think of it that we're an outpost of his kingdom, an outpost of the kingdom. Now, the kingdom is much bigger than the church. I'm not saying the church is the kingdom, but it's a part of it. And the church has the responsibility to help advance the kingdom in this age. In fact, Paul wrote to the, the church in Ephesus. He said his desire was that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities even in the heavenly places, that it was through the church that God was going to bring good to the world. Later in Ephesians 6, 20, Paul says, for this, I'm an ambassador in chains. He says, in chains, he says something very similar to the Corinthian church. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Friends, we're an outpost of the kingdom. In the military, an outpost, you know what it is? An outpost is a group of soldiers that they're, they're stationed away from the main force. They're not the main force, but they're stationed away from it. They represent the main force. And as a, as a church, as an outpost, we're not the main force. Uh, Jesus and his kingdom is, but we're here to represent that to our community. The church is in the world. It's like, to use Paul's uh, metaphor of an ambassador, it's like an embassy in the world. An embassy uh, gets set up in a country uh, to, to create good relationships with the home country, right? And an ambassador is stationed there. And the church is an initial point of contact for God's kingdom. Paul says we're ambassadors. We don't speak on our own authority, he says, but on Jesus' authority, not our words, but his. That's why being rooted in his word is so important. As ambassadors, we don't plead with other people from a long distance. But why do countries send ambassadors? So that there can be relationship to develop those things. Not just to shout them from a long ways away, but to be in relationship. And so as ambassadors, we don't plead from, with others from a long distance. We plead up close and personally. Like ambassadors, we're sent into a place that isn't our home. You know, this, this earth is not your home if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus. You're an ambassador here. You're sent here by the king. 
and you're only here for a short while according to his pleasure and then you're called back home. You're sent into this outpost of his kingdom and ambassadors are sent into a place that isn't their home to meet people in their home country on their turf. If we're gonna be sent, we've gotta be out and involved in the community. That's why we don't have a hundred programs throughout the week. Sometimes people are new to our church and they'll ask, well, why don't you have anything going on? Because we want you to be involved in a small group and out serving in the community, being salt and light in our community. Because we're sent, right? It's not about, it's not about us, it's about Jesus and his mission. And, and the other thing, just to keep in mind, is an ambassador sent in power? Or is an ambassador sent in humility? Ambassadors are sent not with power, but for the purpose of establishing friendship, goodwill, working relationships. And we're sent to serve and build relationships with others on behalf of the king, sharing his message. You know, when this is, this is a neat thing to think about because when Paul writes this, that we're as ambassadors, do you know Rome never sent ambassadors? Do you know how Rome established its relationships with other kingdoms? They sent in a conquering army. They came in, kicked everybody's butt, and then they set up their own governor to rule and reign over this conquered land. You've probably read about a handful in the New Testament that went with the title of Herod, right? That that was somebody uh, put in authority by Rome and and they would come in, they would conquer with power and set up a governor there to rule and reign. Do you know who sent ambassadors? It wasn't the powerful kingdom. It was all the weaker ones. The, the Roman emperor is on record, one of them at, at one time bragging about the fact that ambassadors from other countries would come and beg them for mercy. And in fact, there's record of ambassadors coming to Rome from as far away as India. And they would come and they would plead with the emperor. They would plead with Rome saying, uh, please show mercy to us. Don't, uh, don't conquer us. Don't send that army. Let us live. Let us be your ally. We can be like your vassal state on the front line. The strong didn't send out ambassadors, the weak did. Ed Stetzer wrote this, the all powerful Roman empire wouldn't send out ambassadors to those that didn't matter. But the all powerful, loving, good, sovereign, perfect and merciful God says that we're ambassadors for Christ, the king of a far greater kingdom. So this is glorious. All powerful God sends ambassadors out on his behalf. It's a glorious scandal that confounds the wisdom of the world. We're ambassadors, friends. And and curiously, we're sent in weakness on behalf of the most powerful kingdom of all time. It totally flips on its head the reality of that day. And it flips on the head, on its head, the reality of our day that we're sent to love. And by the way, it's not in weakness, but in meekness with power under control. In meekness, like Jesus, you know, God's kingdom, it's different than all the other kingdoms. As his church, we're an outpost. It's powerful, but it comes in that meekness. And Jesus summed up the, the, the subversive nature of the kingdom with two really simple parables. You got your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. 
In Matthew 13, Jesus uh, rattles off a handful of parables to teach, but a couple in particular uh, we're going to look at this morning as it relates to his kingdom. Look at verse 31. First, he, he tells the parable of a mustard seed. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all the seeds. Now remember, Jesus. Uh, some of Jesus' hearers here are, are thinking that Jesus, uh, if he's the Messiah, is gonna come up and set a powerful kingdom, not unlike Rome's. But Jesus says, no, it's, it's small actually, like a mustard seed. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it's larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air can come and make nests in its branches. And it actually serves those around it. He also compares it, he goes on in verse 33, comparing it to yeast. He told them another parable. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was leavened. The idea of these two parables is that the kingdom begins small and in many ways, even imperceivable in its power and totally contrary to what the world would do. And a couple applications for us here. First, uh, even though we might be in any location and we, uh, the Christian community, the church might be tiny, even persecuted like it is in many places. And like maybe we'll, we will be someday. The reality is that the kingdom and Jesus' power and authority still works through us and will not be thwarted. And so we can trust him and continue to love people, even if it seems like uh, we're getting beat up for it. And on the flip side of this truth, it's that whole piece that we just said, the kingdom doesn't, uh, that ambassador doesn't go with power, but in humility. Uh, sometimes uh, in the church, we've, we've looked at Jesus' power and uh, his power of his kingdom. And maybe we've taken on this kind of triumphalist mentality to kind of win the culture and uh, go after things in a harsh way, but it's not helpful. We'll talk more about that here in a moment. Ultimately, uh, the way of the cross is what we're to emulate. So friends, we're sent to love people and and Jesus to love our community. Jesus gives us uh, two other metaphors to explain what this looks like for us in terms of in our community. We're sent into the world, right? Amen. All right, you ready for two more metaphors? You with me? All right, here we go. So here's the first one. We're sent to love our community first. You're gonna recognize these as salt, as salt that counters evil. Turn to Matthew chapter five now. Look at verse 13. This is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' most famous sermon, he says some of these things. He says to his followers, to us, you are the salt of the earth. Do you know salt had two main purposes in the ancient world, seasoning and preserving. That's what salt was used for. Sometimes it was also used for fertilizing, but the two primary things were seasoning and preserving. And and likely the intended meaning that Jesus had here, as you look at the context, is that idea of preserving, like salt was put on meat to preserve it, to slow the decay of it, to come in contact with it, and keep them rotting. He says, as the church, we're the salt of the earth. 
You're sent into the world to come in contact with the world to, to counter evil, to keep culture from rotting away like it naturally does and naturally would when left to itself, like any of us would when left to ourselves apart from Jesus' grace. We're sent as salt that counters evil, but look at that. Look at what he goes on to say. He says, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. That's kind of disturbing, isn't it? And in some ways that doesn't make much sense to us today because we get a thing of salt, you know, with the little girl and the umbrella on it and you pour it out and it, like it just never goes bad. You can leave it in your cupboard for years and it's still as salty. Like, what are you talking about, Jesus? Do you know what you're talking about? What do you mean when saltiness, when salt loses its taste? But in the first century, salt wasn't refined like the salt you and I buy at the store. It was usually derived from salty marshes and it had all kinds of impurities in it. And the sodium chloride, the salt being more soluble, would dissolve and just kind of get leached out over time. And over time, salt would lose its taste. And then it's no good. And then it's just like, well, let's just throw it out in the backyard because who wants to put this on our food anymore? Today, uh, the, the church needs to be salt in the world, in our culture, in our community countering evil, coming in contact to preserve decay. And we can do this. We can come in contact with our world in so many different ways, intentionally addressing certain human needs like addiction treatment, refugee relocation, assimilation of people, confronting human trafficking, serving the disabled, providing uh, education and opportunity economically. There's so many advocating in the public square. There's so many things we can do to come in contact with our community. And you need to know, some of you know this, as you do this, you will face opposition. Look at the context right immediately before this verse, before Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. He says, starting in verse 10, he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And by the way, you're the salt of the earth. I'm sending you into that world where you will face opposition. Jesus doesn't say, uh, blessed are you if others revile you. He says, blessed are you when they revile you. If you're gonna be salt, if we're gonna be salt, expect opposition. It's the nature of the beast. It's not if, but when. Uh, Jesus sends us into, think about that. Jesus willingly sends us into a world that will reject us. kind of a crazy thought, isn't it? Being salt and light, because that's the next metaphor, it will sometimes mean speaking out against values and norms and lifestyles that our culture embraces. I mean, you don't have to go far to be 
facing opposition for speaking the truth, do you? The issue of, of homosexuality, of marriage, of abortion, of things that, that um, our world has just kind of gone crazy, saying that those things are good, but you know, you know what's really happened? Is uh, basically, but for the grace of God go all of us because we all are sinful and messed up and we all devolve down to those things. And what's happened, I believe, is the church has lost its saltiness over time. And salt that's left in the shaker and not applied to the meat does no good and the meat just rots and decays. See, um, being salt will rarely win you friends. Uh, One theologian said this, we're the salt, not the honey of the world and salt bites. So you will face opposition, but but that brings us to our next point here, that as salt that, that counters evil, you, you need to do that. You, you will face opposition, but, but, but be sure to recognize this point that how you go about that, how you go about being salt is equally as important as what you say and what you bring to the table. The method, the way in which you do it absolutely matters because you can be totally right and be an incredible jerk and turn people farther and farther away from the truth. See, uh, look at what God's word says. Uh, in, in Ephesians 4, Paul writes, rather speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who's the head into Christ. See, Micah told, told us, the prophet Micah, said basically that all our sacrifice, even in being salt and light, uh, it, it's... It's really useless unless we prioritize the things that God calls us to prioritize. He's told you, O man, what's good, uh, what the Lord requires of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Your how is equally as important as the what. First Peter 3, you know, in your hearts, honor Christ to the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope in you, but do it with all gentleness and respect. In a loving way, you're sent to love. You're sent to love, our, we're sent to love our community as salt that counters evil, that, that stops decay, and also as light that advances good. So let's take the flip side of this, the more positive side. Keep reading in Matthew 5. Look at verse 14. You are the light of the world. And a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. You know, if, um, if salt is to hinder something from decaying, light is really to shine forth what's good. You're the light of the world. You're the light of the world. It's more positive. It has many functions. It, it gives clarity. It points to the direction we should go. It, it, it advances what's good. 
you know, Jesus, even when he comes in Matthew, he's, he's declared to be the light of the world. Isaiah writes about that as well. And he says, you're a city on a hill. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. You know, cities in this day were often built of limestone. Limestone is kind of a whitish, whitish stone. And so when the sun would shine upon these cities, they'd be quite bright in the middle of the afternoon. Especially, you can imagine, especially a city that's on a hill. And even at night, when, when there were... Uh, when there were lamps and, and flames and things like that to light the city at night, you can imagine a city on a hill at night that's made of limestone that's white would have been lit up. Like you, you can't hide that. You're not gonna hide that. You're the light of the world. Hide it under a bushel? No, right? Like, yeah, that's right on. That was like the best thing to yell when you're a kid singing that song, wasn't it? No, you used to say it as loud as you could, but it's so true. And you can't hide your light. Don't, don't quench the spirit. See, don't, don't see yourself primarily only as salt, that all you're doing is you're coming in to counter this world and I'm gonna win. Jesus is gonna win. No, 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 no. You're light, you shine forth good. You, you present a, a, an attractive picture of what people would be drawn towards. Now, you also do what salt does, right? You come in contact with culture and, and you say what's good. You say what's true when it's need to be said, but you say it with grace and truth. And in doing so, you shine forth light. See, we're sent to love our community as salt that counters evil and as light that advances good. And uh, I would end with these three thoughts. We do this for three reasons. One, for God's glory. You know, look at what Jesus says at the end of that. He says in verse 16, let your light shine before others. Like a city on a hill, let your light shine so that people may see your good works. He's speaking of you being salt and light in the community so they would see your good works and then do what? Glorify your father who's in heaven. So the first reason we're salt and light is for God's glory. It's not about us, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Psalm 96.3, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. Not only that, not only is it for God's glory, but it's for others' good. It's for the good of our community. We're to seek the welfare of the city to which God has sent us. To let your good works so shine before men that they would give glory to God. Like they would receive such good, they would go, oh man, that, that's so good. It's gotta be because of Jesus. It's for God's glory, for others' good. And then finally, it's for our joy. It's for our joy. There's joy in doing these things. There's joy in serving Jesus and loving him and doing what's right and living the way that we're called to live. Enough with the nonsense that like uh, the church is just full of these rules that God has put on us to like squish our fun. No, let's put the fun back in fundamentalism, right? Like, no, God's word, that was a pretty good line. God's word is, uh, is there for our good, for our benefit. It's for our good. When he says don't, he's saying don't hurt yourself. When he gives us things to do, he says, listen, that's the best way to live, the life, live your life. That's how I've designed you to do it for his glory, for Jesus' glory, for the good of our community and for our 
joy. Do you know that serving Jesus and receiving joy in that and loving him for the joy that he gives, enjoying him is a really good thing? It's a really good thing. He loves a cheerful giver. He loves a cheerful server. God's glory, others good, our joy. Amen. Hey, let me pray. And we're going to call it, we're going to sing and call it a morning. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that uh, as he was sent into the world, you've sent us into the world. That you've sent us to love people like Jesus loved people, like he loved us. And, and you've sent us to love our community, to love one another for sure, but also to love our community. Help us to be salt that comes into contact with our culture and with our community. Give us opportunity to love people, to be involved. And then as we come in contact with them, help us to speak what's true so that it would counter the decay in our world and help us to shine forth as light that uh, our good works would so shine before others, Jesus, that they would have no other response than but to, to praise you and to glorify you. Lord, I pray for any who are hearing this today too, who've never trusted you, who've never um, moved from being your creation to being your child, that, that even today they might hear some of these things and be drawn to them because they know of your goodness. And uh, if that's you, if you would simply turn in faith to Jesus, recognizing that, that you need a savior, someone to make you new, to forgive you of your sin, if you turn to him by faith, uh, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, confess him with your lips, uh, God's word says you will be saved. It's a simple act of faith. Father, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. It's through him we pray all these things.